the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He wants you to rely on Him, but at the same time He uses your natural talents, gifts, and abilities to partner with God's divine intervention on things. It isn't just, you know, the extremes. It isn't like your future is based solely on your determination, right? And God, as sovereign as He is and can do all things without any help from us, loves to partner with us in the revelation of His will. God wants to use you to accomplish His mission. Isn't that incredible when you think about it? God is infinitely powerful and doesn't really need your help, but He chooses to use you. In his message today, Pastor Gary will remind you that God wants to include you to further His kingdom. This doesn't mean you are on your own working ahead of God's will and His power. He wants to use your skills and giftings along with you being guided by the Holy Spirit. God wants to partner with you. That's amazing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 16, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. After dividing the land for Judah, we're going to start to divide the land uh, for the rest of the tribes. And here it goes, verse 1. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan, because Joseph gets a double blessing. So both of his kids, Joseph's going to be removed, and both of his kids are going to get assigned territory. Uh, The children of Joseph by the Jordan, by Jericho, to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel, and then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites at Ataroth and went down westward to the boundary of the Japhelites as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, and here they are, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. And here we go. Verse 5, the border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was this. And then it lists all these villages and towns, which I'm not going to do, but I will highlight the territory of Ephraim. That's what they get assigned here. And uh, I want you to notice that as it describes, here are the boundaries for Ephraim. It does say at the end of chapter 16, and I want you to notice this, we'll come back to it in verse 10. It says, and they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. 
Now, look, this is a very dangerous thing that we're reading here, so don't overlook it. They're supposed to drive out everybody because the people who inhabit the land are pagan people. They are not only opposed to God, they are opposed to the children of God. And these people will come back to haunt uh, the Israelites who have allowed them to remain. It's interesting here. It says that the Ephraimites did not drive out the Canaanites from their territory, but they did assign them to forced labor. Meaning what? Meaning they had the strength and the ability to force them out. But instead of doing that, they turn him into servants. If you have the ability to drive them out, you should be driving them out. This is actually a disobedience to what the Lord told them to do. But nonetheless, this is their territory. If you go to chapter 17, it says in verse 1, There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. And you're going to notice here that we're going to get into the western side of the uh, Jordan River, and this is the other half of Manasseh. So this is the only tribe that split. Half of them said, no, we like the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The other half said, no, we like it on the western side. And so Manasseh gets split. But I want you to notice further down with me in verse 3, something interesting here, because it says, but Zelophehad, Zelophehad, the son of Hafer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh. So this is part of the descendants of Manasseh. This particular guy, Zelophehad, had no sons, but only daughters. And then it lists the names of the daughters. Uh, Mela, uh, Noah, okay, it was a girl's name back in the day. Hogla, not a very uh, flattering name there. <laughs> Milka and uh, Tirzah. Okay, now here's what happened. Um, Normally, the land allotment would go to the males in the family. And thus, by default, any females within the family would have their land allotment along with the head of their house or their father or their husband. Okay, but what happens here when this guy has no sons, but he only has daughters? These daughters are like left out in the cold. So like, well, we need a place to live too. So, So here, notice. Verse 4, and they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. Look, one of the things I love about the Bible and Christianity in general is that you notice in not just the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, the wonderful standing that women have with God. And Christianity is unique in that way. You're not going to find that in Islam. You're not going to find that in Hinduism. You're not going to find that in Buddhism. You find the wonderful honoring of women in the Bible. And here come these ladies who are like, we don't have men in our lives, so we need land too. And Joshua and Eliezer are like, yes, you also equally get a share of the inheritance. And so, like, you know, here they come, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all. put your hand up for some land up, you know, so that's what they do. Put your hand up for some land up, that's what they did right here. And so they, so they got their land allotment. I'm a mess, just pray for me. And so anyway... 
And so, and so it says in the territory, they're reading the rest of verse 9, and the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Michnathah, and that lies east of Shechem, and the border went along south to the inhabitants of En Tapua. All right, keep going over further down to verse 12. I'm still in 17. Go to verse 12, because you're going to see the same thing repeated there in verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land, and it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor but did not utterly drive them out. Again, same scenario. You have enough power to reduce them to forced labor, you have enough power to drive them out, but you didn't do it. And so land continues to be divided here. Uh, There's this kind of interesting ending to chapter 17. I'll just read it, verse 14. It says, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? They're not happy with what they get. And so Joshua answered them and said, Well, if you are great people, uh, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself. They're in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. He's like, you know, they're like, we're a great people. We need more. Okay, if you're so great, go cut down some trees you know, go, and go expand your territory. And uh, so it says in verse 16, but the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shan and in its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So, like, do it. Go ahead. Just, you know, expand. But you're going to do some work to earn it. Chapter 18. Now, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. This is important. And the land was subdued before them, but there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Uh, Shiloh is located there uh, in the territory of uh, Ephraim, and this is a significant town. Uh, I've been there once um, before the 2001 Intifada in Israel, and now because Shiloh is part of the West Bank, it's a little too precarious to, to go to Shiloh. But originally, Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle of the Lord was pitched. This was a mobile uh, sanctuary of the Lord that was like a tent. And um, Moses was given instructions about its material, its design, and how it was to be made. And the Israelites carried it with them because they didn't have a permanent temple. That wouldn't happen until the days of King Solomon... And that temple would be permanently built in Jerusalem. But before the temple was built in Jerusalem, they had a mobile temple known as the tabernacle, or also called in some translations, the tent of meeting. And that was pitched in Shiloh. And you can go, when I went to Shiloh, it's interesting because it's like untouched. Uh, Shards of pottery are all over the place. I mean, and you can pick them up and take them because it's just remnants of people who gathered there to worship the Lord. I have some of the uh, pottery from Shiloh. People gathered there to worship the Lord before the temple was built. And it was there that they came and they would uh, offer sacrifices and they would seek the Lord. Well, Shiloh is headquarters and it's the place where Eleazar the priest is. 
And what we read at the end of chapter 19 tells us that this is the place where Joshua would go to inquire of the Lord. He would seek God's uh, will through Eleazar the priest at Shiloh where the tent was, where the tabernacle was. Now, what happens here at Shiloh is it appears here that some time has gone by and the tribes have not claimed their allotment. And so here's what happens in verse 3. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe. Now, there's still seven tribes that haven't gotten their allotment. So this is 21 men. I want you to pick 21 men here, three men from each tribe. And I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory uh, on the north. So talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. But you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord your God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance, and Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. And then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. And then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. And so the verses following divide it for the remaining seven tribes. Now, I just want to point out this simple thing here. There is a beautiful combination of man's participation and God's intervention. What do I mean? Joshua instructed these 21 men, I want you to go out and I want you to map the territory. Map it, survey it. And I want you to you know, write it all down in a book. And what they ended up doing was they made notes of different towns and villages. They made notes of brooks and streams. They made notes of mountains. They made notes of cliffs. They made notes of all these, the topography of the land. They mapped it out. They surveyed it. And there were natural boundaries that fell. When you look at a map of the United States, you know, particularly the East Coast, you know, a lot of our boundaries and borders are around, you know, natural um, uh, parts of the land, natural topography of the land, where rivers and streams, you know, the Potomac River divides Virginia from Maryland. There are natural things that are recorded as boundaries. This is what these guys were doing. But what is interesting is that man's participation was survey the land, write it all out, But God's intervention was revealed through Joshua casting the lots. So it wasn't like it was all just human participation. Go write a map and then fight over it and write your names wherever you want. No, it was you map it out, come back, and now I'll cast lots so that God can determine which tribes go to which part of the territory. And the reason I mention this is because sometimes it's important for us to realize that that's still a similar way that God operates. In this sense, he doesn't want you to just simply rely on yourself. He wants you to rely on him. But at the same time, he uses your natural talents, gifts, and abilities to partner with God's divine intervention on things. It isn't just, you know, the extremes. It isn't like your future is based solely on your determination, right? 
And God, as sovereign as he is and can do all things without any help from us, loves to partner with us in the revelation of his will. And so there is this beautiful combination in the Bible of man's participation in the sovereignty of God. That's the beautiful tension of the Bible in terms of salvation, right? It's man's responsibility. It's God's sovereignty. And where does that tension meet in the middle? And it's that way with us. So, you know, as we don't always over hyper spiritualize everything. And at the same time, don't neglect God and think that it's all up to you. There's this wonderful tension that meets in the middle somewhere between, okay, how does God want you to be involved in the actual fulfillment of his purpose and of his plan? And so it takes some discernment there. And so that's the kind of thing we see happening here. Man is is surveying this, writing the boundaries, and God is then determining who goes where. It's this beautiful a joint venture here, man's participation in God's intervention. Well, we're going to hustle through this because you're going to see here the rest of the land allotment. Here we go. So verse 11, now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. And I want you to notice of all of the towns mentioned, there's one important one. Jump ahead to verse 28. There in chapter 18, verse 28, there's a list of different Cities that are mentioned as part of this territory by the guys who survey the land. And in verse 28, you have Zela, Eleph, and Jebus. Notice that. And in parenthesis, which is Jerusalem. So I'll put that on the map for you. Jerusalem falls just inside the territory of Benjamin. And so that's where Jerusalem is located. And then when you look at chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The second lot came out for Simeon. For the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. Now notice that. Their territory was within Judah's territory. They were a small tribe. Judah was the largest tribe. This was helping to protect them, giving them a little bit of shelter around them, because the larger tribe could help the smaller one. And it says in verse 10, the third lot came out for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Uh, keep reading with me, verse 17. The fourth lot came out to Issachar, for the children of Issachar, according to their families. And so you have also up there to the north, just east of Zebulun, you have the territory for the tribe of Issachar. I neglected to mention, but this is just in passing, there's some important people in your Bibles based on these different tribes. Uh, from the tribe of Benjamin... Uh, King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The apostle Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, When you get here to verse 24, the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families. Here's the tribe of Asher uh, to the far northwest. And um, someone famous from the tribe of Asher is found in Luke chapter 2, the elderly prophetess Anna. Anna was from the tribe of Asher. And when you get down to verse 32, it says, The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali, according to their families. So the region of Naphtali is also up there uh, to the north. The region of Naphtali hugs the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Somebody famous from the tribe of Naphtali was Barak, not Obama, but Barak (laughs) was a leader in uh, the book of Judges, but not a very good leader. Because he was very timid 
And so God had to raise up Deborah as a judge in the book of Judges. Deborah was from the tribe of Ephraim, and uh, Barak was from the tribe of Naphtali. Uh, And then lastly, in verse 40, you have the, the last tribe gets the allotment. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families. Now, Uh, The most famous person from the tribe of Dan was a tragic story, the life of Samson, also another judge. He was a Danite. And I want you to notice uh, real quickly verse 47. It says, And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these, because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it. Here's what we find out. Dan doesn't like their little tribal allotment down there. So they go way up north, beyond what is today the Golan Heights, and they take this territory, Leshem, and there they dwell. Uh, when we go on our tour of Israel and we go up to Tel Dan, we're going up far north. It was not God's original land allotment for them, but they went and took it anyway. They took possession of it, and it says in verse 48, this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. And let's close out chapter 19 here because we're going to see that Joshua himself, the last to get his own personal allotment, and this is what he gets. In verse 49, it says, When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, timnath Serah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so they made an end of dividing the country. I want to close with this passage from Colossians chapter 3. You don't need to turn, just listen. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Therefore put to death your members, and the ESV says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them prior to knowing Christ. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I share this with you in closing because this is a picture for us of the danger of what they didn't do. They allowed the enemy to remain when they should have driven them out. They should have put them to death so that the influence would not corrupt them. In the same way, we have a fleshly nature that always is trying to dominate us. But in Christ, you see, we are to put to death these things that are part of our earthly nature. And that's why Paul lists some of those things. Not an all-inclusive list, just a reminder to us. These are some areas where we can struggle in in our flesh. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify the desires of the lust thereof. And it will be a constant battle for us 
to die to ourselves and to crucify the flesh. But if we don't put to death in our flesh, if we don't die to self, these things will end up haunting us. These things can end up coming back to bite us, so to speak. And when you look at Jewish history, the enemy that they did not drive out became the enemy that would defeat them. So we must take the necessary steps in our own lives to deal with those things of our flesh so that they don't dominate us. Amen. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the Promised Land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you, too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.